remembering as I sat by the stream at the bottom of the house garden, you know, hoping and hoping that somehow he would come back, the hope that somehow it had all been a terrible mistake and, you know, that he'd disappeared off on some secret mission and would yeah. recover. everyone, my name is Inherit George Carey and you're listening to Daddy Issues, a podcast dedicated to confronting fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want this podcast to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you may possess, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us and so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this topic as one that needs to be recognised, heard and confronted. In today's episode, I am talking to someone whose career I found so very tricky to summarize, but here goes. He is the former number two in the United Nations, having served as Deputy Secretary General and Chief of Staff under Kofi Annan. For six years prior to this, he was Administrator for the UNDP, leading the UN's development efforts around the world. He was later Minister of State in the Foreign Office, covering Africa and Asia, and sat in Gordon Brown's Cabinet. Unsurprisingly, in 2005, Time magazine put him as one of the 100 most influential people in the world, and in 2007, he was knighted for his contribution to international affairs. Somehow, in and amongst all of this, he found the time to become an author, writing The Unfinished Global Revolution that casts an autobiographical lens on the state of the world. And finally, and most presently, he chairs Best for Britain, an advocacy group engaged in the debate around Britain's relations with the EU. Lord Malik Brown, welcome to Daddy Issues, and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Anne Harrod. So I should probably mention that Mark and my dad were very good friends at school, and Mark was actually best man at my parents' wedding. So Mark, if you'd like to tell us why it was from the age of 13 you um, started living without your father. Well, you know, the tragedy of an early death, a dad who uh, sort of overworked all the time, was gone, long days commuting to London uh, from the home county, Sussex, where I'd been brought up, and, you know, one day just not coming home, uh, dying on the train. Uh, it's given me a sort of lifelong aversion to commuting, to seeing all those sort of <laughs> grey-faced men and nowadays grey-faced women as well, you know, sort of tacking on, you know, an hour or so's journey time at the end of soulless long days in, in the office. So, yeah, I mean, it was a surprise, with hindsight less so, uh, but at the time, you know, we were a happy little nuclear family of my mum, dad and me, uh, and obviously it ripped a vast great hole in that mm. uh, when he simply didn't come home one night. Yeah. And what happened to him in terms of how was, what was the cause of his death? Well, he had a heart attack. And in a sense, we shouldn't have been surprised for a number of reasons. I mean, one, his two brothers also died at a similar age of around 50, mm -hmm. one before him, one after him, uh, also of heart attacks. And, you know, with hindsight, my dad had sort of become rather withdrawn in the last 
years of his life. I think the sheer tiredness and exhaustion of the travel, uh, you know, a remedial gin and tonic or a martini at the weekends <laughs> when he got home um, yeah. was he, he was something he was increasingly uh, dependent on. And so exhaustion and a stiff drink uh, meant that he wasn't there very much for his son. Mm. And I, in the very English middle-class way of the time, was anyway off, been sent off to boarding schools. So, you know, during the term time, I would see my dad a proud sports enthusiastic enthusiast himself with my mother on the touchline of my rugby games or whatever cricket uh, I think I always disappointed him I was not the athlete he was but um you know he, he the combination of boarding school and his health and overwork meant that he was sort of a semi-detached father mm -hmm. uh, even tragically before he was fully gone right so it was almost a case of being somewhat fatherless before he died. Yes, although there's, you know, in a sense, nothing prepares you for it. Because, yeah. you know, while I think, you know, I was used to spending much more time with my mother before he died, mm. you know, he was an essential anchor in our lives, you know, uh, the need to sort of turn out at some point in the evening to go and pick him up from the train station. Um, the fact he was there on the touchline and was extraordinarily proud of me and encouraging of my achievements, um, you know, meant that, he, he, you know, it did blow a huge, great hole in yeah. the family. And especially if you then get sent away to boarding school, which obviously was very normal for, as you say, the sort of middle class male generation. And what, how do you remember... Well, actually, firstly, do you remember who told you about your dad's death? A very nice sort of avuncular housemaster mm -hmm. uh, told me um, the following morning and then um, sent me down to the bottom of the garden to um, sort of reflect on it while there was a stream at the bottom of the garden. And I remember, mm -hmm. you know, sitting there feeling very, very lonely, um, uh, watching this stream uh, flowing past and, you know, wondering what life would hold. He then sort of, you know, told the rest of the house who, you know, a group of youngsters, all 13, um, including your, your, your father, Peter, and for the most part, most of them, not, not Peter, but others, you know, in the kindest, with no malice intended, you know, sort of tiptoed round me for days, you know, wondering what they could say, if anything, mm. which might not trigger some sort of meltdown on my part. <laughs> so, you know, there was a sort of strange silence yeah. uh, around it. And then rather peculiarly, the housemaster discouraged me from going to my father's funeral on the grounds that it would be, oh, wow. you know, a very emotional event. And so in an oddest thing, Mm. You know, I didn't go to my dad's own funeral. And um, by contrast, remember you and your siblings mm. probably much better at your dad's funeral and then <laughs> memorial service than maybe you remember yourselves. Um, but, you know, it was an incredibly important, cathartic moment. And because mm. I took his advice, I was denied it. And I think it was, you know, very much the sort of buttoned up, buttoned down mm. uh, generation, if you like, that you you sort of bottle up got your emotions, you got on with it, and uh, no time for 
for tears or breakdown or emotional display. So, you know, that strange moment which a church service and hearing people speaking well of your dad and seeing the coffin dispatched into the um, ground, you know, all those sort of, I suppose if you'd say, remedial steps in, 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 in um, grieving, yeah. uh, I sort of missed out on rather mm. oddly. And how did your mum feel about you not going to the funeral? For years, she sort of grinned and bore it, but always found it very surprising. And for some reason, either forgot or didn't realise that I'd done it at the advice of this housemaster, who uh, he and his wife became actually, in the longer term, great friends of my mother's. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think she only realised after he had died that, you know, he'd encouraged me not to to go and I think she was bewildered by it because she clearly had been very upset that I wasn't there and had seen it as me sort of in a sense you know turning my back on the sort of tragedy in the family nest and you know flying off from it yeah Uh, so it was you know not intended that way to be read that way but it led to a quiet grief and unspoken disappointment on her part which she didn't really understand the truth of for decade until decades later yeah and also as an adult as obviously you were a child but for her as an adult she probably also knew that that closure obviously grief is a sort of it never ironically dies it sort of continues throughout your life and it comes in waves at different stages and different moments but she as an adult would have known that little closure that you would have felt being at his funeral and seeing all that stuff. So yeah, I can see, of course, how that would have affected her. But just going back to, um, well, there are lots of things I want to pick up on, but just going back to when you mentioned, in a very selfish sense, my father. Now, in hindsight, the sort of parallels between their, their, both their lives, your best friend and your, fa- and your father, yeah. Um, how they both died in different ways, but both in a very tragic and sudden way, leaving a young family behind. How did he comfort, speak, treat you? Obviously, with absolute no idea that he'd become the same, very similar case, but how do you remember at all how that... Well, I do actually, because he was... We'd become already, you know, good friends. I mean... We had gone to school together at this boarding school the previous September. My father died in May. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd had almost a full school year together and were emerging from the experience as best friends. (laughs) And, um, you know, he just didn't have the inhibitions that others didn't. He, He was, you know, quietly supportive and you know, anxious to let me talk about it and all the rest. And actually it went on from there to become a little bit of a sort of carey family enterprise (laughs) because um, through, not through your dad, we after all were just 13 and in no position to recommend lawyers, but uh, (laughs) someone else recommended your grandfather, uh, Peter's father, as to my mother as someone who could deal with her legal work. which was, she was a 
fairly impoverished widow, but so there wasn't much of it, but there were, you know, wills to be completed and a new mm -hmm. will to be written for her and investments to be made and managed from the small pension she'd received. And, um, you know, your dad did all of that. And mm. because uh, the introduction had been through mutual family friends and, um, you know, they had heard also from Peter of the circumstances that brought her to his office as a, as, as a, a new widow. Um, you know, they took us on as a family and um, we got to know, my mother and I both got to know your grandparents mm -hmm. and not just Peter, but his siblings really well. And there was yeah. many a night spent with him uh, in holidays, usually at the family flat in Lambeth. Yeah, um, I'm sure drinking plenty. Well, it's, we were still 13, so, oh, yeah. uh, so <laughs> yeah. probably um, it was near Lambeth Palace, so probably other than raiding the communion wine, we, yeah. we, we didn't... Um, we started later than your generation, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean... But they were a great source as a family of support and friendship mm. uh, to both my my mother and to, uh, to mm. me and, you know, Peter particularly. And as you know, we remained the firmest of friends throughout the school years, even though we then were in different houses from the next September onwards. And then spent a wonderful year working and traveling together around Africa before we, we went to university. And then we kind of went our separate ways because he went yeah. to one university, I went to a different one. But, you know, we remained the closest of friends through that. We, we had a common birthday party, I think our 21st birthday party that we shared. Oh, did you? Together, I yeah. Um, and amazing. Um, so... You, you know, and then, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, I, I was the best man to your father's wedding. He was in my wedding. Um, I got married a bit later, by which time I'd collected too many debts to best men. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else drew the short straw of come mind, yeah. but he was a very enthusiastic um, uh, part of it. I even, you know, had a run-in with the police at his um, stag night when oh God. Uh, I, I got stopped getting into my car after the stag night when there was <laughs> oh no God. way I should have been driving. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the adventures continued mm -hmm. and, you know, it was, a, we, as you know, remained the dearest and closest of friends for the rest of his life. When he then got tragically killed in a very sudden car accident, um, I don't know, did you ever think about your dad in that moment? I did, and you know, I think in a way um, I did because I just felt for you all and it was a terrible, tragic moment. We were on the opposite side of the world in America where we lived at the time and you were all in Sri Lanka and the early reports were devastating about you all being injured and the family, you know, members getting taken off to different hospitals and the drama of through long distance phone calls trying to find out what was happening, yeah. what one could do to help. But obviously, you know, in the longer term from, you know, immediately seeing you as soon as you got back to the UK, coming over from America to do, do that, mm. to the services of farewell to him, uh, where I spoke at his memorial service yeah, right. uh, at St. Margaret's Westminster, um, to, you know, 
in particular with your brother William, who is my godson, mm. trying to play for him a little bit of the role that not your dad, because we were contemporaries, but his father and you know other friends had played for me of trying to be a bit more than just you know supporting him through his school career, but being there mm. to help in any way possible, um, you know, with advice or the odd lunch and dinner and drink yeah. together. So. You know, I, I, there was a there was a strange symmetry to it, as yeah. you say. And actually, going back to sort of you and what you just mentioned about sort of older men not taking, as you say, the father role completely, but definitely being somewhat of a um, someone that you can look up to and get advice from and guidance, and and especially, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but especially I think for young men and their fathers that really maps out an identity. I think mm. a death on any part affects both genders as equally mm. um, for its different reasons. But especially with my brothers, dare I say it on <laughs> my podcast, but I've, I've noticed, especially for my younger brother, um, who didn't know dad, really, because he was three, but they've really, he said that he struggled with just direction in life mm. and thinking that he could have been so he could be so much more successful had dad been around obviously he's 23 I mean he has so many years to become very successful but did you ever did you ever sort of have can you take yourself back to sort of that I mean even a young adult stage but also teenage phase where you just felt a bit of an identity crisis was there something well I think so I mean I have to say in my case I think I sort of uh, unconsciously sought alternative father figures. Mm -hmm. So there was a remarkable family friend who was the one who'd actually introduced my mother to your uh, grandfather for, for legal help, um, who was a very distinguished sort of explorer, academic figure in the British church, um, you know, who'd been successful at all kinds of levels, you know, um, um, served in his church role as a member of the House of Lords, where years later I was to end up. Um, and so I suppose, you know, he just, but particularly his world life as an explorer and as a figure passionate about both spirituality and about public service, mm -hmm. I mean, these things were all in their time incredibly sort of inspirational and shaping of me and you know some people have noticed kindly in some cases less kindly in others <laughs> that I've kind of kept a penchant for having male friends a generation older than myself yeah um, and so to this day you know I have one particular male friend who's in his late 80s yeah somebody I see as much almost as anyone mm. um, and I don't think he would think of himself as the father figure and I don't think of him as that but you know I've always sort of been drawn to you know older people older men with who are a source of experience yeah. and occasionally of of example yeah um, I think that's really one of the main things isn't it yeah. is the example yeah to sort yeah. of values and a way of living that you want to emulate and, mm -hmm. and copy and live up to yeah what did your father do what was his um what was his career i can't remember if you touched he him. was a lawyer he was a lawyer. um 
he had been a South African diplomat who'd come over on the sort of famous Rhodes Scholarship scheme to the UK, uh, interrupted then by the, the Second World War. But, you know, he met my mother, who was also in the, who was in the British Navy. They met in the Navy and married, and then he finished a, his university degree at Oxford immediately after the war and was initially a South African diplomat, mm-hmm. um, but then was shocked by the direction of South African government, the election of the first so-called apartheid government in mm-hmm. 1948 and very quickly you know lost faith in where the country was going and resigned and instead you know uh worked not as a lawyer but um as the in the sort of trade association for the british shipping and then for international shipping industry industry uh, you know, a trade association which was very involved in international public policy and regulation and mm-hmm. tax and, and 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 regulatory issues of different kinds. So, you know, he, he sort of, in a sense, applied his lawyer's skills, but in, mm-hmm. in a kind of uh, secretariat-type way. Do you think then that, because if your dad was a diplomat in South Africa, as you say, do you think that although this other sort of father figure that came along later on, Explorer, House of Lords, which are obviously two things that your career has kind of taken you to, um, but do you also think maybe your push towards Africa was maybe towards your yeah, connection no, look, with your dad? Yeah, no, look, my dad, uh, whatever else he did or didn't leave me, left me a country, South Africa, <laughs> yeah. which I've you know, always been passionate about. It was something that for him, even when he'd given up the nationality, um, you know, often at dinner or when I heard him talking with friends, there was a stream, not constant, but occasional stream of South African visitors through the house. You know, the talk of South African politics, mm. the uh, sentiment of the romancing of this country, which he'd grown up in, you know, right in the outback in farm country and you know the drama of the scholarship boy literally riding an ox cart to the railhead before taking uh, <laughs> the railway to to school some hours away you know all of this sort of infused a vision and excitement about africa in general and south africa in particular which meant that you know, come my gap year, I persuaded Peter, uh, your father, to come with me on a trip to, which began in South Africa, where he also had a lot of relatives who we stayed with. Um, and then, you know, led us to traveling the length of the continent, finally <laughs> flying home from Egypt. So yes, it rooted in me, yeah. you know, a passionate interest in Africa. Mm. Uh, later would come Asia and Latin America and yeah. other regions. But to this day, if people ask me where I'm from, I say I'm British. But if it, the conversation goes much further than that, I mm. say I had a South African father and feel, you know, still very South African in some mm. ways, and have taken my own kids to South Africa several times. Yeah. And even to my pride and joy, my eldest daughter, Maddie, has, you know, taken her now fiance there on a trip additional to oh, that. Oh, amazing! So, yeah. You know that the the, the the sort of South African connection mm. has so far been passed down. Yeah, um, and just want to go back to school um, because I think finding out in such a shocking way about your dad when you have to cope with it at school, I find how children cope 
with those situations is really interesting. I remember one of my great friends at school, um, she lost her mum two weeks before we started school and Mark and I were at the same school. So I don't know, somewhat similar again. Um, but because I'd lost my dad, I sort of understood those layers that you get forced into without even wanting to be, even asking to be, even understanding. Those layers that come from grief, from shock, from trauma, that kind of force you to sort of, you get a new perspective of the world and you, you're, you just change your, your sort of general outlook on it either searching for answers or just not understanding or all these different things. Anyway, I remember Georgie would, everyone would tease Georgie for speaking to herself. And so she'd say she'd be in the, what we used to call the brew room, so where you kind of make toasts and stuff. She'd be chatting away to herself. And so people would walk in and be like, God, she's mad. I knew <laughs> that actually the person she was talking to was, of course, her mum. And I just knew that because I knew that 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 was where I'd once been when I'd just lost my dad. Um, and I just wanted to know how, if you remember anything like that coming about, and, and if you do, or if you don't, what sort of things would you do to somehow try and find him? My immediate memories were much more forgetting all my French vocabulary and grammar in French <laughs> class than, yeah. you know, and but remembering as I sat by the stream at the bottom of the house garden, you know, hoping and hoping that somehow he would come back. Mm. And, you know, I think periodically during the, you know, years that followed, I hoped that somehow it had all been a terrible mistake and, you know, that he disappeared off on some secret mission and would yeah. recover. But I think there is a difference perhaps between 13 and 7 as you were mm. because at 7 it, 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 it disrupts and changes childhood. At 13 it ends childhood. Yeah. You know, in a way uh, there was this issue in which, you know, I suppose at one level I unconsciously understood I was now in that very old-fashioned term the, the man of the family. Yeah. Um, and... You know, in a way, I suppose the thing was a sort of, sort of accelerated growing up. Mm. Um, and, you know, in a way, the child at home was broken for me by that. And, you know, it made me sort of impatient to get on with life. Mm. And, you know, it left me at a school which was incredibly good to me and kind to me and then and later, but where, you know, I was less money than most students um you know they all had busy often famous fathers doing yeah. stuff and i did feel in some ways the sort of orphan kid who just was you know had a much greater impetus after this to get into the world and make my own way and mm. you know get past what for me was now as i say a kind of a broken childhood. Mm -hmm. It was a sort of jet propulsion effect. It shot me out uh, into the world. And, you know, I do think with a sort of hardened, multiplied sense of ambition, and mm. in my case, I think rather than it leaving me demotivated and drifting, 
it it had the opposite effect. Yeah. It concentrated the mind. It mm. you know accelerated my leap into adulthood. It sort of powered me to want to get on with life. Yeah, yeah, and make something of yourself. Yeah. And also potentially because you were an only child or you are an only child, um, that pressure, as you say, of being the, the suddenly maybe the person to sort of then provide for your mum and that pressure. No, I think that's right. And, you know, while I think for my mother it left to some sad years where she felt that, you know, I'd emotionally moved on. Mm -hmm. um, I think over the longer term, while you know, much of my life has been lived abroad, not here, um, it has made me a solicitor's son, you know, yeah. doing a lot for her yeah. over uh, many years, sort of exercising, I suppose, what I imagined would have been the last will and testament. Yeah. I uh, thought to write it of my father, which is look after your mother. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure if he'd had a <laughs> chance to deliver himself of a last message, that would that have would been be it. That would be it, yeah. And I want to get on to then now you becoming a father yourself. So I was listening on Radio 4, and I think Women's Hour, and it were these four women who had lost their mothers when they were very young, and then it was only when they'd become a mother that they grieved. Mm. Which, and then they all actually became psychotherapists, funnily enough, so they were all standing there as like four psychotherapists, which you are not. <laughs> and probably loads of other people who lose their parents don't become psychotherapists, but um, I just wanted to know, especially, I guess, the birth of your son, mm. and then but obviously your daughters as well, and Maddie, your first daughter, did that have, becoming a father yourself, did it have any impact at all? Did you, was there anything that you felt, any grief that suddenly came up that you hadn't acknowledged before or? No, I, 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 I can't say it did. I mean, um, I think, you know, in a sense, these were births very much of the present. It was mm. great that both their grandmothers was very much alive to see them being born and there for their early years and you know I, I i think to the extent that my father has played a part in my thinking about my children you know it has been you know a despair that for very different reasons to his thank god not the long commute except very occasionally but just you know working very very hard mm. i've often thought oh god you know um you know i hope I'm going to succeed in being able to be better friends of my children mm -hmm. than my dad ever had time to be. And um, I remember taking Maddie, my eldest, um, when she was probably 11 or 12 and telling her, you know, at, when I was your age, I had one more year of my father mm -hmm. uh, before uh, he was taken out by a heart attack. And, you know, I really hope we find time to be friends and she read this as a warning that I only had a year to go <laughs> so the conversation rather backfired um, and didn't have the intended effect it sent her screaming back home dad's <laughs> dying um, uh, she's now 27 so, so I you know rudely lived down <laughs> yeah. that 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 forecast but um, but you know I, I, I think it, it's been more you know feeling that my dad was shortchanged. He didn't get to be the father he could have been. Mm. And, you know, anxious to try and be more and be there more for my children. And only 
partially succeeding, you know, feeling that just because I have held down big jobs uh, during their yeah. childhood, um, that, you know, there's more of my father in my fathering yeah. than I would have wanted. Yeah, which I think almost is sort of, it's that thing where women turn into their mothers and men turn into their fathers. Yeah. And actually, funnily enough, as my younger brother, who keeps getting mentioned and he'll hate me for this, Sorry, Derbeth. Um, But actually, weirdly, even though he's the one that knew dad almost the least, Mm. he's the one who everyone says is most similar in sort of mannerisms. He's the only one becoming a lawyer. My dad was a lawyer. I also think that's because he wants to feel closer to him. But he's also just, he looks very similar. But yeah, it is that thing where, yeah, you guess you become a map of your parents anyway, regardless, I think, of whether or not they're around. I just wanted to ask whether, because I've had a very prominent sort of um, cycle of grief, which I only now understand and have recognized. Um, But it took me genuinely 20 years to sort of see it for what it was, which was grief. Wondering for you, have you ever noticed or felt your grief? And if so, when has it arisen? And how did you acknowledge it? You know, I, I, I suspect, you know, should a um, psychoanalyst ever get at me, you know, <laughs> get me in their chair, they would conclude that, you know, that I had suppressed an awful lot of the grief um, and that I'd not lived through as overtly, because it may not have been obvious to you, but I think it was obvious to those of us who watched you yes, and your siblings exactly. that you were living through that tragic cycle of grief. Um but in my case, there was a lot of stiff upper lip. Mm. And as I say, I think it's been more at different points in the life, and of which the birth of the children was certainly one, getting married was another, mm. graduating with a great degree from university was another. The moment I held some of these big jobs would have been a further one, mm. where there was a sort of nagging sort of sadness and despair that my dad hadn't seen it Mm. um you know i think if there was a tension in our relationship when it was live it was i referred to that you know he 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 didn't see me as you know as the aggressive talented sportsman he had been Mm. um and actually because i was a kind of quite slow starter academically although went on to be very strong academically Mm. he didn't live to see the academic success the first class degree the rest yeah uh, and you know at those moments in a sense that sense of wanting to please him that yeah. had been so strong through his life you know came back with a roar and yeah. you know there was just a sadness and an emptiness yeah that he wasn't there to, to to see it yeah and i think there was once i remember my mother sort of mishandling some sort of moment when i'd sort of taken an illicit drink or something at school or <laughs> smoked a cigarette behind the loose. I don't exactly yeah. remember what what the crime was, but her, you know, when she heard heard it reported to her uh, by the housemaster turning to me and saying, you know, 
you've let your father down, he'd feel so betrayed by how you behaved. And, mm. you know, that really cutting through and me thinking that's really unfair, Paul, that, you know, you can't, yeah. Yeah. you can't say that, that's not fair or right. So mm. obviously his good opinion, dead as well as alive, yeah. uh, was something that, you know, has motivated me. And I, at key moments, I've missed his blessing and endorsement. And, yeah having done okay yeah it's that very natural thing of just wanting yeah. to make your parents proud yeah and i think that is just in all of us regardless of whether or not someone's close to their parents i think it's still in you to just want them to notice your successes um yeah actually funny enough i remember just to reveal something about myself but when mark says that the grief it could obviously be seen obviously I wasn't aware of it but just going back to two things I had anorexia when I was 14 and 15 and it was because we were going back to Sri Lanka where we'd had this car accident and obviously it was completely subconscious but it was my obviously grief showing itself for the first time mm. anyway my mum actually wonderfully in hindsight did this but at the time I thought oh stab was saying that how disappointed my father would be if he knew that I'd be if I was that I was anorexic and actually this moment of tough love got me better because I thought right then I'll get better because I don't want him to be disappointed because that's the worst thing in the world um so yeah her tough love really really worked and I think she knew exactly what she was doing that horrible for the time being but in the long run fine I won't yeah. do it again um, so I just want to ask, I think, five more minutes. So I'm going to ask one more question, I think, um, which is a nice short question. Actually, two more questions if we have time. The first one is, how do you think, speaking of all your like incredible successes, and I mean it when, <laughs> when I say I couldn't summarize your career, because <laughs> it's still a massive, massive spiel. Um, but how do you think... Do you ever think about how you think your dad would sort of, sort of, I guess, see you now? Well, you know, I, I, I think my dad would, I hope, have been inordinately proud of the professional career. I mean, for him, having been the sort of um, secretary of an international shipping trade association, for him, the United Nations, where I worked, was the sort of king of international associations. It was, you know, yeah. it, it was the empire. And um, for him to have seen his son, you know, climb to its giddy heights, you know, would have been, he'd have made him hugely proud. Yeah. You know, a lot of other dads would say, UN, oh, that's a bunch of uh, <laughs> sort of no, uh, wine-swigging socialists <laughs> or that's Brussels they've been thinking <laughs> yeah. of but anyway um, uh, they would have um, you know so I, I think he'd have been hugely professionally proud I think he'd have absolutely adored his grandchildren yeah you know would it would have been terribly envious that I'd had four whereas he'd only had one <laughs> yeah. and you know so yeah, I think he would have thought it was an okay life. Yeah, definitely. Um, and finally, if you're, I mean, your dad's obviously passed away, so slightly different, but if he was somehow listening to this podcast and you could t 
tell him something or say something to him, what would you say? Wish you'd stayed around longer uh, and been there for more of it. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it would have also to have been to say that, you know, while temporally there were other father figures, people who were generous in their advice and support, you know, I think he would recognise a lot of him in me. So in that sense, he would have felt there's a legacy and it lives on. And he'd see also a lot of me and therefore of him, I hope, in my children, his grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Mark. You've been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for listening to the second episode of Daddy Issues with Lord Malik Brown. Once again, I feel like I've been completely blown away by such a huge amount of wisdom from my guest, and I feel we've all had such a precious and rare insight into a story of fatherlessness that is often kept quiet amongst the older, particularly male generations. As always, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us via our website, www.thedaddyissuespodcast.com if any of Mark's story resonated with you or if you just want to share any thoughts or experiences of your own with Mark, myself or each other. A special thanks goes out to Warren at Walkie Productions who did all my sound, for Aaron and Ben at Interface who did my website and graphic design and to Rory Ray Photography for taking the photograph. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify to stay tuned with new episodes and, of course, spread the Daddy Issues message. Have a lovely rest of your day and thank you once again for listening. <laughs>